Good morning, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Glad to be with you, as always. A Saturday edition of the show. And in all seriousness, you know, with everything that's going on, we're going to limit the amount of shows that we do. Not really protecting anybody. So maybe this is one of the programs out there that aren't really helping anybody, that aren't really spreading awareness or keeping people from getting sick. But I, I do think it's very important to use sports as a sanctuary. And I have stressed about this for years, talking about all different things that um, impact somebody's life in a negative way. Everybody has trials and tribulations, and obviously – with the, the sickness and a pandemic that's going on, there's a lot of fear that exists amongst people, but sports have always been there as a sanctuary. And you've been able to, with any confines of what your favorite sport is, or multiple sports, you've been able to temporarily take yourself away. Now you're talking about something that has impacted the world of sports because there's no sports. Sports are done. And they may be done for the foreseeable future. They may be done forever. We may never see sports again. So I think this is the time where it's most important for everybody to try to find something to temporarily distract them from a lot of the negativity and the fears that exist out there. So we're, we're going to run off a, a couple different points about a couple different things. Two baseball points. I'm going to talk about three specific teams that – are now playing in different cities. And I also want to talk or end the debate, which we had a couple weeks ago with Bill Fitch and Bucky Harris, two Hall of Fame coaches slash managers, ended up going in to its respective Hall of Fames with losing records. Which one stood out better? Which one is more of an eyesore, the fact that they're in their respective Sports Hall of Fame? We've been updating on JohnPielli.com. We're up to the top 28 offensive position players to ever play in Major League Baseball history. Um, we're working very diligently about it, uh, trying to just make sure once those names get put in there, there's no changing them. Maybe you could flip a couple into a different number, but... There's no 28 better baseball players, offensive position players in Major League Baseball history than the 28 that I got up there on JohnPielli.com. So I was thinking about, I put this out on Twitter the other day, and, you know, it's funny. There's going to come a time where people are going to know my name. People are going to know my sports opinions, and it's going to be thrown out in your face a little bit more. And then all of a sudden, you're going to feel like because it's a people are all creatures of habit, you're all of a sudden going to vote on the polls that I put up on Twitter. And I laugh at it because my Twitter account exists. It's pretty much the most unviewed Twitter account in, in history of the world that nobody ever pays attention to. But when you're told to pay attention to it, you will. And all of a sudden, you'll look back at some of my tweets and you're like, oh, they, they really weren't too bad. But I digress. I get to, you know, to vent on this show, and I'm happy to be able to do it. I'm done venting about that. So when it comes to the start of the Major League Baseball season, which right now we have no idea when it's going to start. You know, we're lucky. 
by Memorial Day weekend, where maybe sometime in the summer, how many games are going to be played? Are they going to be, a, you know, 100, 120? It's, it's going to look like it's probably going to be a truncated season at some point. Now, if we get word that there's going to be a definitive date and games will be start to be played soon, then maybe there's a chance that you can think of playing all of 162. Right now, it's not looking good. So I put out a poll and was wondering, that diehard baseball fan, as we hear the cuckoo clock, which this is what we'll call our opening point of the passball show, a reminder, and I won't say this again, brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Alwish's Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. So how bad do you want to see baseball? Do you want baseball games to be played in front of a stadium with no fans. Now, I did put this out before word came out that Major League Baseball was not interested in resuming play in front of crowds, um, I'm sorry, seats that are empty. So they're not going to play games, or at least from their negotiation and their discussion about when they're going to restore baseball, that it's not on the table to have games played in front of no fans. So my question was, would you rather see baseball games being played? Like, let's say today, Saturday, Monday, you know there's going to be Major League Baseball games played, but you can't go to them. They're going to be played in front of empty crowds. Or would you rather wait to be able to capture a game in person? Or if you're, at least if you're watching on TV, you know you got home field advantage and you know you got the crowd noise fans going out there enjoying the game they love in person. To me, this was an easy question. And as much as I love baseball and as as much as I miss the sport right now, I'd rather wait until I can go to a game if I'd like to. I'd like to keep my opening day streak alive of the consecutive opening games that I've been to, which would be, what, 18 in a row? Pretty freaking cool. I'd like a chance to go down there to spring training to watch another game in person. I'd like to know that on any given day, I can buy a ticket and go to a game in any different stadium that I want. The response that I got, and once again, it's not a big response. We're talking about, you know, one, one hundred trillionth of a percent of Twitter followers that exist in this world. We're 40 something or 50-something that decided to vote. A lot of people want to see baseball. A lot of people wouldn't mind seeing baseball played in stadiums without any fans. I think if we've waited this far, let's get through this pandemic. Let's get to a point where it's going to be comfortable to fill stadium again. Because you know what? I don't care if it's a slight risk. If they're letting fans in the stadium, I'm going. I'm going to watch a baseball game if I end up, you know, having to be isolated after I go to the game for two weeks. As long as, I, you know, if I get the coronavirus, as long as I don't impact anybody else, I want to see a game in person. The other aspect, the other thing that I wanted to talk about, MLB is getting together. They're trying to negotiate some things, probably some precursors for what we're going to see in the next collective bargaining agreement. And it's unfortunate because you saw – one of many stories of the offseason that have been forgotten is the interest that Commissioner Rob Manfred of Major League Baseball has in reducing the amount of minor league baseball teams, 
reducing the amount of minor league baseball leagues, and most importantly or impactfully, reducing the amount of minor league baseball players. And you're going to see it in the next draft, whatever the draft is. And, of course, it's hard to stay to the point about a specific draft day because I don't think we really know how things are going to go week to week. Anything that you have planned, you're probably assuming it's going to get canceled or postponed at this point. But, you know, you just hope that next week is a better week than this week and the same so on and so forth till we get to a point where, you know, bans as far as people being out in public, bans in regards to public gatherings, you know, families that haven't seen each other for two, three weeks can kind of get themselves together. And then we can start talking about specific dates for things like the NFL draft, the MLB draft and stuff like that. So and MLB Major League Baseball is looking right now to reduce the amount of rounds in its draft, not just for this year, but going forward. They're, they, they may be going down to having as little as five rounds in a Major League Baseball draft this year, which is very sad for a lot of kids that have played hard to get to this level. Um, you're looking at college players. Some of them have waited their entire lives to be drafted. You know, that projected seventh-round draft pick is not going to have that big moment. He's going to have to sign as a free agent. And what do you do with the hundreds and maybe thousands of players that would normally belong to a professional baseball team that are just free agents? Do you just have an open free agency? Because I think if you're a shrewd organization, if you're, let's say, a team that doesn't have a high market payroll and is looking to you know, load itself up with some really good young players to put in your minor leagues, I would be going to town in post-draft day free agency. If they're limiting the draft to just five rounds, I'd be on there looking to grab myself another 100 players, and I'd be looking to sign those players as soon as it's possible, as soon as that draft is over. I have a projection of what the first five rounds should be or the top players that should be taken in each of the five rounds, and I'd have a list of every single player that's on the outside looking in and say, you know what, if that player isn't drafted, I'm signing them. And I'm signing that player and that player and that player. You may see a ridiculous amount of post-draft day free agents signing with teams, and all of a sudden you're taking away the draft. So you're allowing, if you want, let's say you're the Tampa Bay Rays, and you say, hey, I want to sign the next 20 best players as undrafted free agents and bring them in. They'll have the ability to do that. And I hope, I hope teams take advantage of this. I hope teams embarrass Major League Baseball and what they're proposing and what they're looking to do right now. I want to see teams go out there and normally in a draft where they may, you know, go up to whatever round and get X amount of players. I want them to double that in quality players. And I want Major League Baseball to come out of this with egg on their face. It's terrible to have a system where you're talking about so many players that were drafted. You're talking about college players, high school players, all types of players that, yeah, when it's, the further down the draft you get, when you get into the teens, you get in the 20th round or so, your chances, at least mathematically, to make it into the major leagues are probably not that good, but some players do. And some players get drafted maybe, hey, because they're a high school player. 
Maybe they want to go to college. Maybe they get talked into going to a Major League Baseball team because they were drafted. But I think it's embarrassing what Major League Baseball is looking to do. And you know their agenda that's set up and it's been set up for months. Like I said, part of the offseason that all of a sudden we've forgotten about. We've forgotten about the Houston Astros and their cheating of 2017 and maybe further. Nobody cares about that now. People are worried about their lives. So while everybody's worried about the pandemic that's existed in this country, not enough attention is being brought to all those young players that will not get drafted this year because Major League Baseball is deciding to take their draft down to five rounds. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPielli.com and JohnPielli LLC is prohibited. Any commercial audio use of the program, such as by charging admission for showing, is similarly prohibited. So, I was thinking uh, about this the other day, and I brought it up once again, didn't get a whole lot of response, but I'm very much interested in the coaching career of Bill Fitch, who, yes, has won himself a championship in the National Basketball Association, but outside of that has not distinguished himself very much. He's a guy that's right now, he's 85 years old. You know, I'd like to reach out to him. Maybe if he's in good enough health, like to have him as a guest on the show. But a guy that coached for about, what is it, 28 years, almost consecutively from 1970 all the way through. And with a brief break from uh, 1993 to 1994. So two seasons, he didn't coach between... Uh, his stints in New Jersey and the Los Angeles Clippers. And yes, NBA champion with the Boston Celtics in 1980-1981, made it to the NBA Finals in 1985-1986 with the Houston Rockets. And of course, that was a a very uh, intense series. You know, Bill Fitch, the former Celtics coach, is on the one side. And you're talking about a very heated series. Ralph Sampson throwing haymakers, getting ejected from the game. Hakeem Olajuwon was uh, ejected from multiple games during the playoffs for, um, you know, flagrant activities. But you look back and at Bill Fitch's career and you, you're, you want your answer to be like, hey, this guy is no doubt a Hall of Famer. And for his time with the Boston Celtics, Great coach, 730 winning percentage, over 500 winning percentage with the Houston Rockets and got to the NBA Finals. Outside of that, his record's not very good. And, you know, you want to talk about, let's say, the Casey Stengel reference. And Casey Stengel was a great manager for the New York Yankees, but was probably considered below average in his time with the Brooklyn Dodgers and the Boston Bees. And, of course, was amongst some of the worst teams in baseball history when he managed the New York Mets. Joe Torre, great manager for the New York Yankees, was a below average manager with the New York Mets, an average manager with the Atlanta Braves to get them to the postseason once, was probably average to below average with the St. Louis Cardinals, and maybe 
average to above average with the Los Angeles Dodgers. But what distinguished those two managers and made them Hall of Famers were how great their runs were with the New York Yankees. Casey Stengel was the manager of the New York Yankees and probably one of the most successful times for one franchise in sports history. From 1949 to 1960, the Yankees were in the World Series every year except for two. And that's when one team made it to the postseason in each respective leagues. You could go back and talk about probably one of the most dominant times in sports history, let alone baseball history. So the manager of that team, the one that won seven World Series championships, 1949, 50, 51, 52, 53, 56, and 58, and was in three others in 1955, 1957, and 1960, belongs in Baseball's Hall of Fame. Joe Torre, we're talking about how hard it is in Major League Baseball to have a dynasty. Maybe one of the last legitimate dynasties we're ever going to see in baseball history. World Series champions in 1996, 1998, 99, and 2000. That's four and five years. Something you're probably not going to see happen just because of how the parity is spread out through the sport. And it is very hard to maintain a dominant team within the sport. You look at what the Boston Red Sox have done. The four World Series championships in 15 years are really an indication of how much they've changed. They weren't the same players. A lot of the same players were on the New York Yankee teams in 1996 through 2000. Joe Torre, as dominant as those Yankee teams were, that was good enough to get him in a Hall of Fame. So once again, I've taken a long way to get to my short answer. You talk about Bill Fitch. Bill Fitch was very good with the Boston Celtics over a course of four seasons, won an NBA championship with a very good team. But that same team three years later came came up against the Houston Rockets, a team that he was coaching, and beat them again. So was it the coaching that brought the, that was part of the Celtics dynasty? The answer is no. And what did Bill Fitch do to distinguish himself outside of those four great seasons with the Boston Celtics? The New, Jer- uh, the New Jersey Nets, and I was trying, I'm like, wait, am I making a mistake? But yes, at the time, the New Jersey Nets were, were awful when Bill Fitch was there. So were the Los Angeles Clippers. The Cleveland Cavaliers, where he was a coach of from 1970 to 1979. Yes, a solid decade he was there. He was a fixture. There was no question that he was the coach of that team for a while. They had a 412 winning percentage. The guy is 944 at 1106, a 460 winning percentage over the course of his career. I'm sorry, it's a stretch that he is in the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame as a coach. And the other manager or coach that I want to talk about is Bucky Harris. So we talk about Bucky Harris. We just mentioned the Yankees. We spoke about Casey Stengel and how dominant he was, not necessarily – that he was a great manager with the Yankees and was a lousy manager with other teams. But the fact that he was in charge of the Yankees when they probably were the best that they ever were. The Mickey Mantle Yankees of the 1950s, Yogi Berra Yankees of that time, were probably the best they've ever had. And you can talk about Ruth and Gehrig and DiMaggio and Jeter, whatever you want to do. It's hard to say that 
there was ever a Yankee team that was as dominant as that team during that era. Now, prior to that, prior to Casey Stengel taking over as the manager of the New York Yankees, Bucky Harris was in in charge. He was running a bench. He was writing lineups. And I say this because I kind of laugh at baseball right now because managers in Major League Baseball don't write their own lineups. So Bucky Harris takes over in 1947, leads the New York Yankees to a World Series championship over the Brooklyn Dodgers. 97 wins in a regular season. The next year, the Yankees win 94 games. He gets fired. Casey Stengel takes over. But you could say that that was probably the highlight of the Major League Baseball managerial career of Bucky Harris. And this is one that went a very long time. Now, there's two managers in Major League Baseball's Hall of Fame that have losing records. One of them is Bucky Harris. The other one is the iconic Connie Mack. Now, Connie Mack's in the Hall of Fame probably more as a pioneer. He was an owner. He was the only Major League Baseball manager to have 50 seasons as the team's manager. Because of that, he's won the most games. Because of that, he's lost the most games as manager. And he also won five World Series championships, so it was pretty hard to hold the guy out that meant so much to the sport. So my issue with Bucky Harris is he got off to a really good start during his time with the Washington Senators when he was the player manager in 1924 and 1925. His first two seasons as a manager, he made it to he, he made it to the World Series, and the Washington Senators won their only World Series in 1924. A year later, they get back to the World Series. They lose to the Pittsburgh Pirates. So two years, two American League pennants, two of only three that the Washington Senators would ever win in the history of their franchise. The team digresses a little bit, fourth place, third place, fourth place, then he's out. He ends up going to the Detroit Tigers, losing season, losing season, losing season. They won game over 500, and it is let go in season number six with a losing record. 1934, he managed the Boston Red Sox. They got their 500. 1935, he's back with the Washington Senators. Team finishes under 500. He spends two, four, six, eight. The next eight seasons as the manager of the Washington Senators during some of the worst times in the history of that franchise. Manages the Philadelphia Phillies in 1943. Losing record is out after 94 games. Talked about the two years with the Yankees. Two great seasons, including a World Series championship. After that, five more seasons with the Washington Senators. Losing record, losing record, 500, 500, losing record. His last two seasons were with the Detroit Tigers in 1955 and 1956. Two fifth-place finishes, but with winning records. His career, two years with the Yankees, a 620 winning percentage. 500 is one season with the Boston Red Sox. Losing records in Washington, Detroit, and Philadelphia. Overall, a whole lot of games he managed, 4,410. 29 seasons, a record of 2,158 wins, 2,219 losses. Yes, it, it's within an earshot of 500, but that doesn't spell a Hall of Famer. A manager that has won two World Series championships in 30 years and has had more losing seasons than winning seasons is not a Hall of Famer by any stretch of the imagination, especially when you're comparing it to the likes of guys like Casey Stengel and Joe Torre. During their good times, 
It was some of the best in the history of the franchise. Talking about Torrey winning four World Series. Casey Stagel won four World Series. And they managed to finish their careers with winning records. Bucky Harris didn't. Bill Fitch didn't. I don't think either of them belong in each respective sports hall of fame. So I was thinking about a couple iconic seasons that exist amongst teams in professional sports and was interested in thinking about cities that don't have teams right now. And I want to first start off by talking about the Montreal Expos, a team that was pretty underrated during its history. Yes, they had a lot of losing years in the early part of the 70s. Um, as they got towards the end in 2000 through 2004, it got a little ugly. And, of course, the 1994 team that seemed like one of the best in baseball, seemed like it was on its way to the postseason. And the season, of course, was interrupted by the strike because of the greed and selfishness of the owners and the players. But there's a season that doesn't get spoken about too much. The 1981 Montreal Expos. And you could say that they may have had the best roster A to Z that they ever had in the history of the franchise. I may put up as a poll question, compare the 1981 team to the 1994 team. Now, from a record standpoint, the 1994 team wins running away. But what team would you rather have? First of all, Dick Williams was their manager. And of course, before the season was over, would end up getting fired. Remember, the 1981 season is a, a season split between two sections because of another strike. Played 100, what, 109, 108 games, 110 games, depending on the amount of games that each team had left over the course of two seasons. So because of that, there was a first half and a second half. The teams that were leading once the season was stopped were awarded automatic berths into the postseason. And any other teams had a chance to make it and win the second half. Now, if the same team won that won a division in the first half won it in the second half, there would be no divisional round. So it was it was made up to be pretty fair. And oddly enough, you had eight different teams or two teams in each division coming out on top after each one of the halves. And the team that had the best record in baseball, the Cincinnati Reds did not make the playoffs. The team that had the second best record in baseball and the second best record in the National League, the St. Louis Cardinals, did not make the playoffs. But one team that did was a very loaded team from Montreal. And it, it's amazing just to go over the town on this roster. You think of Hall of Famers like Gary Carter and Tim Raines and Andre Dawson. But you also think about really solid players that were in the prime of their career, like Larry Parrish, this 23-year-old named Tim Wallach playing the outfield. John Milner was part of that team. Ellis Valentine was part of that team. Willie Montanez. And then you look at their pitchers. Steve Rogers was probably one of the more underrated pitchers in baseball at that time. Their ace, Bill Gullickson, Scott Sanderson, Ray Burris, Woody Fryman, Bill Lee, Stan Bonson, Jeff Reardon, before he became Jeff Reardon, the dominant closer. This was a very solid team. And if I'm 
going to war with a lineup or going to play a series with a lineup, you know, I don't I don't mind Tim Raines. You know, and Rodney Scott at the top of the order stealing bases. You know, you look at Andre Dawson and Gary Carter and Wallach. Pretty solid lineup. And you work at a couple of those guys off the bench. It's a pretty quality team. Now, listen, they didn't get as far as they wanted to. They lost in the NL Championship Series in five games to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And, of course, an extra inning game, a memorable home run by Rick Monday. But this was a team that was that close to getting to the World Series that year. The Dodgers, who ended up winning the World Series over the Yankees, who knows if the Expos in 1981 win their only World Series that year. So the next team that I wanted to spend a couple minutes talking about and I got this all screwed up. But we'll get there. The 1978-1979 Seattle Supersonics. And this one happened before I was born, but during the year that I was born. And one of the distinct factors that you can talk about that season and their coach, Lenny Wilkins. Lenny Wilkins made it into basketball's Hall of Fame twice as a coach and as a player. And what stands out about this team? Well, this team was in the NBA Finals a year before, and they lost. So in the NBA Finals for the second consecutive season, and a roster that wasn't really filled with a tremendous amount of stars. You know, Jack Sigma was a very important player to that team. Dennis Johnson made it into the Basketball Hall of Fame after a really good career. One that started out in Seattle and went to Phoenix and, of course, was part of several championships with the Boston Celtics. Three-time NBA champion. Hall of Famer, like I said. And Jack Sigma, an underrated player at his time, is rewarded as a basketball Hall of Famer. 2019, he made it in there. Really good career from 77-86 with the Seattle Supersonics. Finished his career with the Milwaukee Bucks was drafted eighth overall pick in a 1977 draft. But Sigma joining the Supersonics, all of a sudden this team got a little better. Only averaged 10 points a game his first year, but second year, 15 points and 12 boards. They win themselves an NBA championship. You know, I look back at this team, and there's not a ton to talk about here. But when you go back and you think of a, a city – of Seattle that doesn't have a basketball team right now. A lot of their fans have either supported another team out West or followed the team to Oklahoma City where they got a young team, a team with Chris Paul and a lot of young players that by the time the basketball season was stopped was pretty encouraging. Might make the playoffs this year if there is one. But you think of the Seattle Supersonics and a team that just all of a sudden lost their team. You know, three-time NBA champion, Paul Silas, who was a longtime coach as well, was finishing up his career there with Seattle. 
they had a player that only got into 12 games, and his name was Jackie Robinson. Obviously. I'm going to have to assume he was named after the great baseball player. Didn't have a long career. Played the 12 games in that season at Seattle Supersonics, won the NBA championship. Only got into 10 other games, Detroit, Chicago, 79, 80, 81, 82. Picked a great, uh, great human being to be named after in Jackie Robinson. So his parents obviously, you know, knew that's what we we're going to name our kid after. And why would you not want to do that? And you look at a guy, a player by the name of John Johnson. Pretty decent player. Talking about a, what, 14-year career? Cleveland, Portland, Houston. Last five years with Seattle. But if you're a Seattle Supersonics fan, you probably look back at that 78-79 season and think about the impact that it had on your life, which exists right now without an NBA basketball team. So the last team I wanted to talk about is the NFL Cleveland Browns of the 1948 season. And the reason I bring this up, because we talk about the Cleveland Browns as they exist in a national football league, and we like to laugh at them. We like to look at, you know, the, the potential mess that they have right now, uh, maybe an exorbitant amount of personalities with OBJ and Jarvis Landry and Baker Mayfield. You bring Kareem Hunt in there. Obviously, the incident last year, with the uh, the the swinging the swinging the hel- excuse me of the helmet and the hitting in the head of the quarterback of the Steelers, Cleveland Browns outside of their little region and the diehard fans that they have don't have a lot of love, and they're thought about throughout the rest of the sport as one of the losingest teams in the history of sports, and you're talking about a team that won five straight championships. The All-American Football Conference that existed from 1946 to 1949, four years, they won the championship every year. The next year, when they joined the NFL in 1950, they won the NFL championship. So you look at a team in 1948 that doesn't get spoken about at all and could be considered one of the greatest teams in the history of the sport. Now, we talk about the 1972 Dolphins and the fact that they went 14-0 and zero in a regular season, won their three playoff games, including the Super Bowl. The New England Patriots, they went out there, went 16-0 and zero in a regular season, won their three playoff games to get, I'm sorry, their two playoff games to get to the Super Bowl, were 18-0 and zero and lost to the Giants. What about the 1948 Cleveland Browns? Paul Brown, the head coach. Otto Graham, the quarterback. 14 and 0 regular season, won the NFL championship 49 to 7 over the Buffalo Bills. I'm sorry, the All-American Football Conference Championship. 49 to 7. They didn't lose a game. They were 15 and 0. And then we talk about the Miami Dolphins and Don Shula with the grin on his face and those former players every single time a team loses in a National Football League. 
they'll never be the 72 Dolphins. You know who was the 72 Dolphins before the 72 Dolphins? The Cleveland Browns of 1948. They won all 14 of their regular season games. They won a championship, 49-7. It's a pretty damn good team. And if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, you should take honor in the fact that your team has eight championships. Four in the All-American Football Conference and four in the NFL. You're an eight-time championship franchise. And if you're a fan of the Cleveland Browns, you should be proud. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the Past Ball Show. Like I said, we're going to... Until things start to settle down, we'll probably be back with you next Saturday. We'll kind of go on every Saturday. Hopefully, you know, you listen, you keep throwing things my way, anything on your mind in a world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. Spoke a little bit today about Major League Baseball. Would you rather see a game? Are you that die hard and hungry to see a baseball game that you'd like to turn on your TV and watch a game be played with no fans? I understand how somebody may feel that way. You just want to see baseball. We're about to enter the month of April. What's the month of April without any baseball games being played? It's kind of crazy. I think you have to go back to 1995 to the last time that there was no baseball games played on April 1st. I get it. I'd prefer to wait if it's a little while longer so I could go to the game, so I could see the crowds. So we could watch baseball like it always was, played in front of an audience, not just on the television, but in person. It's just my opinion. It's thinking about the Major League Baseball's effort to really uh, um, get rid of minor league baseball or eliminate the amount of minor league baseball teams there are. I understand the conditions aren't all great for the players that are there, but... You know, there's a lot of deserving players that should be playing professional baseball, should at least give it a shot. And the elimination of these teams, the elimination of the rounds in a draft, they're going to lead to this. And I just don't think it's it's set up for anything good. But if I'm a Major League Baseball team, one of my ideas, especially if I'm a small market team, wait till that five-round draft that they're proposing for this year is done and unload, sign 20, 50, 80, 100 minor league free agents. You don't have to draft them. You have a chance to get the next, you know, 50 best players if you want after the five rounds of that draft. I say go for it. Spoke about Bill Fitch, Hall of Fame basketball coach. It's not that he didn't have a good career. It's not that he wasn't a good coach. But you think of him amongst the best of all time. You think of him really as a Hall of Fame head coach. I understand he made it. I understand he was selected. Good for him. One championship with the Celtics, was only there for four seasons, made it back to the NBA Finals with the Houston Rockets in 1985. Outside of that, losing record. Wasn't really, didn't really distinguish himself with the Cavaliers, was not good in his time in New Jersey or Los Angeles with the Clippers, losing record as a head coach. Then I think of Bucky Harris, World Series winning manager of the 1947 New York Yankees. Also won a World Series championship with the Washington Senators in 1924. Made it back to the World Series a year later with the Senators in 25. Lost to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Long career. Was a manager for a very long time. Very well respected throughout the sport. I understand people liking him. 
similar to Fitch, kind of the reason why he ends up getting into baseball's Hall of Fame. Losing record as a manager. Losing record with the Washington Senators, a team he won a World Series with. Wasn't good with the Tigers. Didn't distinguish himself with the Phillies or Red Sox. And yes, may have gotten a little bit of a short stick by being let go with the Yankees in 48. Imagine if he stuck around. Would he have won five straight World Series championships if he was leading the Yankees from 49 to 53 like his successor, Casey Stengel, did? It's interesting to see. But once again, losing record didn't really stand out. And I think of guys like Casey Stengel, Joe Torre, a lot of their stops didn't end up working out too well, but the success they had, Stengel in the time when he was with the Yankees, Torrey, the time he was with the Yankees, kind of makes you think, wow, one little run that you have as a manager of a franchise could put you in the Hall of Fame. I don't think Fitch nor Harris did that. Spoke a little bit about the Montreal Expos of 1981, the Seattle Supersonics of 78-79, and the Cleveland Browns, the undefeated Cleveland Browns of 1948. This is a past ball show brought to you by John by St. Aloysius Church and School of Jackson, New Jersey. Also by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We'll be back with you next week. You know, stay healthy, stay away from people. Hopefully over time as a, you know, we'll separately but unified together get through this. Hopefully, we'll see some sports soon. Hopefully, we'll be going out in public soon. Hopefully, we'll have a social gatherings again soon. Be back with you next Saturday. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.